we have been working through in this uh, late summer, early fall season, the fruits of the Spirit. And this is a list in the letter to the Galatians, a letter written to a people in a place that Paul calls saints, holy ones of God, um, in a place called Galatia. And, and we're trying to hear these words here as saints, holy ones here in Durham, North Carolina, in the year 2021. And we're trying to, to imagine together what these fruits might look like and how they might grow in our lives. Things like love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, etc. I'm going to have, uh, I'm going to ask uh, Mackenzie Henry to come and read from another of Paul's letters to the Romans uh, as we explore together this fruit of faithfulness. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that I plan to visit you many times, although I've been prevented from coming until now. I want to harvest some fruit among you, just as I have done among the other Gentiles. I have a responsibility both to Greeks and to those who don't speak Greek, both to the wise and to the foolish. That's why I'm ready to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is God's own power for salvation to all who have faith in God, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. God's righteousness is being revealed in the gospel from faithfulness for faith as it is written, the righteous person will live by faith. It's the word of God. So we'll jump right in and we see Pastor Paul in full harvest mode. I was so thankful to reread this in the context of this uh, passage about fruit growing and fruit harvest that he wants to grow good fruit in this congregation. He wants to bring in the sheaves, so to speak, and uh, this is one of his most famous letters that he's doing this in. He knows that the Spirit has been growing good fruit, and at its core is this thing called faith. Faith, which is so elemental uh, to um, being a community of faith or a church, right? Throughout the New Testament, this word faith has kind of multiple meanings. It's a Greek word called pistis, and then also uh, uh, kind of shifts towards uh, some of the Latin things, which is like that root creed, like I believe, credo, um, for things like the creed. And pistis, or faith, bends in how it is used or should be translated. It has this this wide range. You, you can configure this. Uh, you, we often read it and we often talk about it in terms of faith, but it can also mean things like belief or trust, faithfulness, which if faith is, is one moment, faithfulness is stretched over a long period of time. Things like fidelity, which we think of uh, often when, it, when it's either related to relationships or even like audio equipment, you can have a high fidelity stereo system, which means the sound is really good and how it was meant to be heard. Or pistis can also mean something like allegiance, something that we hold our hand over our heart because we think our heart is close to that thing. 
all of these are true and helpful ways to conceive of faith. And so in this long grocery list of fruit, the word here is pistis, the fruit of faithfulness or faith or belief or trust or fidelity or allegiance. There are so many of these things um, that are happening every time faith pops up in your New Testament. And that's one of the reasons I'm thankful for the Common English Bible, uh, because it kind of footnotes, and it, it makes it a little clunky, especially if you memorize uh, another version as a kid, but it, it footnotes this range. Like, uh, an example of this is in Galatians 2. Phil, I think there's a slide in this verse that, that Noah memorized when she got baptized. This, um, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in my body, I live by faith, indeed, by the faithfulness of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We see uh, the translators trying to grapple with this um, complicated but beautiful range of my faith in Christ's faithfulness of my body and Christ's body and how when we enter into that relationship, it is this beautiful unity and this, this beautiful new thing that is happening. Us, instead of working against God, walking with and working with God. You see the subtle but huge shift that happens there? Like, we, we, once, we once thought that faith was primarily something that we do or come up with or have to do, um, and now we see that it's, it's not something that necessarily that we have or lack, but it's something that attaches us to God, that bolts us to God's story. This faith, any faith that we have, flows out of the very ongoing faithfulness of Jesus. And there's a story about that. There's a story of, of Jesus who was born into Mary's faithfulness, who lived faithful and died faithful, who resurrected faithful and calls us into that faithfulness. So this should encourage us. This is uh, a way more robust and, and detailed idea of faith and faithfulness, but, but it's not only on us. One theologian said that faith is not an art. It's not an achievement. Faith is not a good work that some can boast while others can excuse themselves with the shrug of the shoulders for not being capable of it. So if you walk in this morning and think faith is great, but I'm crappy at faith. Sorry, guys. <laughs> it's okay. That's not what faith was ever about. It is a decisive insight of faith, this theologian says, that all of us are incapable of faith in and of ourselves. It's not us. It's not up to us. It doesn't come from us. And it's not directed only to us and our concerns. Faith is possible. It's not automatic, though. Faith and faithfulness also are able to show up in strange places. Faith doesn't necessarily always play by the rules. Faith it, may, it might not be an art, but it is kind of a craft. It's something that we keep working towards and devote our lives to learning the nuances. And, and like any woodworker would tell you, learning to work with and not against the grain. Faith is a muscle that can be developed and made stronger. Faith is a fruit. Faith can grow. So our sometimes heroic 
faiths, oftentimes not very heroic, <laughs> kind of middling faiths, that involve us believing into Jesus' faithfulness that manifests God's pledge to be with us, to be with us in and through suffering. Maybe I think that's probably why Jesus' most famous faithful act involved him suffering on the cross for us. That faith is possible even where there's death, even when there's suffering. Faith is possible. And this rich, robust faith calls forth, requires, and makes possible our faithfulness. Our faith doesn't exist without Jesus' faithfulness. And to pledge some kind of allegiance to this means to rule out or subdue all the other things that vie for our allegiances. Every day we wake up and there's a million things tugging. Sometimes you can feel this, sometimes it's kind of subconscious. The things that vie for our allegiance and our attention, for our imagination, for our money, for our time. And so when we say the creed, we believe, and, and that's all of our voices joined together, we're making a powerful statement against allegiance to the powers of sin and death and scarcity and all those things that rear their ugly heads in forms of violence and hate and, and, and even just numbing us. To be crucified with Christ and now to live life in your body and my body and our bodies by faith in the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved and gave himself for us means a cru crucifixion of all the other things, all the other ways of conceiving faithfulness. Um, I, I, when I was thinking about this, I, I, I thought a lot about the kinds of lives that get this, that understand fruitfulness, that understand fruitfulness um, in terms not of like, uh, again, hero, like being a hero or doing something hard, or if you're not doing something hard, you're doing something wrong. And this is like that hustle grit mentality, but instead lives of, of gentleness and devotion and fidelity. And, and I always think of, of people like Henry Nouwen and places like L'Arche and in these communities. And uh, Henry Nouwen talks about this call, this call that Paul also talks about. He says, we have been called to be fruitful not successful, not productive, not accomplished. And success comes from strength, stress, and human effort. And fruitfulness comes from vulnerability in the admission of our own weakness. This is, this is submitting to the process. This is joining our lives to God's life. This fruit comes from the seed of the good news, the, the gospel, this sort of Growing faith grows out of the good news. And Paul shouts this from the roof, rooftops, that he's not afraid or ashamed of the gospel. And I think he says that because the gospel in his time, a lot like the gospel in our time, seems small and fragile and weak and irrelevant and retrograde and insignificant and all these things, but it contains at its core the power for salvation. This is a sneaky, uncontainable power, like the power of the mustard seed. That, that seems like it's nothing, and then it grows into something substantial. And maybe not 
huge and everlasting like a sequoia, but big enough to house and to shelter the birds of the field, right? This is faith like the good seed that is well sown, which can grow. And in Paul's message, this, is, this can grow amongst all sorts of types of people. This isn't just for the Jew, but it's also for the Gentile too. It can grow in, in different soil. And I think that that's like a small um, declaration that is a nod that the gospel of Jesus is necessarily has to do with reconciling people. It's for the whole world, and it's reconciling humanity that doesn't like each other very much or talk to, to each other very well. That's what the gospel is mainly and also a part of. The gospel, this good news, must penetrate both 1st century Rome and 21st century Lakewood, Durham. Like That's the wild thing about this gospel, uh, that, that it, it is necessary. It is fundamental in both places. And this gospel, if, if you are wondering, is not primarily about how you can be saved, though it is about how you can be saved, but not only. That's just part of it. The gospel for Paul and the gospel for us is first and foremost that Jesus Christ is Lord. Wrapped in that message that Jesus Christ is Lord is that God was and is and will be faithful, that, that you can join in this faithfulness, that, that you can mark your life with the recognition that God's grace is stronger than all of the strong and death-dealing stuff around us and within us. That's what it means to, to join in and to believe the gospel, to trust in the gospel. is mainly to trust in God and to, to, to join yourself with Jesus. It means that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and that you can have a growing, fruitful faith. It means that this faith is an answer and it's an echo to God's big, strong, present faithfulness in Jesus. And since Jesus was resurrected, Jesus is, is present tense. Jesus is with us. It means that you can and you must change your life when this good news comes into it. it you'll change your life in, in, in really weird and kind of uh, paradoxical ways. Like, uh, I, I think when, when you repent and believe the good news, your life simultaneously becomes a lot smaller and simpler and more focused and less fragmented, but it also becomes more expansive and capacious, capacious and engaged and on the move because your life starts to look more like the life of Christ. Dallas Willard once said that discipleship, this growing in Christ, is simply the, pro the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. It means in this congregation, I look around and, and, and I'm curious and excited to see each of us growing into more Christ-likeness in exactly the, the person who God has already made us and that we are becoming more and more like Jesus in our context as, as parents, as students, as partners, as neighbors, in the specific mix of things that are already happening. This means that you can have a growing faith right here, right now, with the exact ingredients you already have in your pantry. You don't have to go to the store. 
You don't have to buy a book. You don't have to take a class. You don't have to go on a retreat. You just have to experience this power for God's salvation. And you have to jump in. You have to submit to this long, slow, good work of God that has already begun in this world. You have to join in what God is doing, which also sometimes means you have to join in by not doing, by listening, by resting, by giving, by waiting, by sharing. That's also part of what it means to grow in Christ-likeness. It's doing and it's not doing. The end of this little snippet from uh, the Romans letter, Paul sneaks in an allusion to Habakkuk 2. Paul was really good at like vacation Bible school. He, he always has these deep cuts, just like ready to spring. And he says, the righteous person will live by faith. It's, it's like a great slogan for him. And he was allu alluding to the prophet's phrase that says, Look, the one whose desires are not upright will faint from exhaustion, but the righteous person, the person of integrity, will live because of faithfulness. For as difficult as it is and can be for us to have faith and let it grow, there's a recognition that our only hope for sustainability, for abundant and overflowing life, is a life of faith that draws from the deep well of God's faithfulness. The righteous will live by faith. Everyone else will just go faint, trying to catch up, trying to keep up. I think about when the resurrected Jesus appears to Thomas and is so kind to him. You know, we, we know Thomas is doubting Thomas. Thomas is not making all that crazy requests for, you know, the fact that he's seeing a friend who he saw die very recently and he just wants to know a little more details, right? And, and Jesus is so kind to him and lets, lets Thomas touch his side, touch his hands and his feet. And, and, uh, and at the, the end of this, uh, John says, then Jesus did many other miraculous signs in his disciples' presence, signs that aren't recorded in this scroll. And so Thomas kind of gets banged on for, for being an unbeliever. And it says Jesus also did a lot of other signs for the other guys, and you don't talk about them. So this is me being a Thomas apologist for a minute. But then it says, These things are written so that you will believe in that Jesus is the Christ, God's Son, and that believing you will have life in his name that you will believe and that you will have life. The righteous one lives by faith. The one with integrity lives by faith, but it is not our own faith. It is God's faithfulness. It is grace all the way down. Believe and you will have life. I think this means, and we have enough people that study science and are really good at science, and I'm not uh, at this point in my life, I, I like to think I still am because I was in like fourth grade, but that's where I'm frozen. But I like to think that faith kind of operates by some of the similar principles of like osmosis. And I, I just have this chart like locked in my head of like something from a high concentration moving to a lower concentration with all the little particles is that through a semi-permeable membrane. Is this, <laughs> is this what happens, right? And I think that's what it kind of means in this passage, that, that it is by faith for faith, by God's 
massive, dense, everlasting, and inexhaustible fidelity, our faith can happen. Osmosis, divine osmosis. So many of us have tried the other way, where, where we assume that God needs something from us, or that we can somehow contribute to God's godliness, and that we need to give God this great gift of our faith, that, that we somehow have extra faith to give God. How's that worked out for us? <laughs> Some of us, like, feel that way maybe even today. There's this pressure for faith to be heroically Christian or really pious or to know all the answers or to win all the fights. But a righteous person lives by faith. Jesus' faith first and then ours. This is how righteousness was revealed. This is how righteousness is being revealed. It's the offer for true and robust and durable life, and it is being held wide open for us for the taking. The template, the prototype, the firstborn of new creation is shown to us in Jesus, and we just have to join this life. And we have kind of snapshots of the stories. Um, I've never been uh, to the Cooperstown Hall of Fame for baseball. Has anyone ever been there? I know we have like an upstate New Yorker or two in here. Um, Hall of Fames are fascinating to me, especially for a sport like baseball that is so like purity driven and stat driven that like there are all these in inside inside baseball debates about who belongs in the Hall of Fame, even if you've like wound up being a horrible person or took performance enhancing drugs and all these things. And yet, the, this place is, is a place to, to show off the most famous and accomplished ones. It's interesting that the book of Hebrews has kind of a hall of fame, hall of faith. And if you do a Google search, there are a lot of amazing um, sermon series on the hall of fame of faith, um, which is not exactly how I would brand it. Um, but this whole chapter is devoted to these lives who lived quote-unquote, by faith. These snapshots of people um, like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Rahab, all these people, it says, and, and Hebrews 11 defines faith and it says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we do not see. And then names all these faithful ones who figured out um, faith in their context, even in their messy and real lives, even like people who you might take out of the hall of fame of faith because of some of the things that happened in their lives. But there are some beautiful stories that are encouraging on the way that faith works. How it's not made in a laboratory, but it, it's, it, it must be in real life. Stories like Abel, who was killed by his brother, um, and it is by faith that he offered, quote, a better offering, and that Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Faith counters violence in that story. Or Enoch, who apparently didn't die, he was just taken up by the Lord. This is the reward of someone with faith not experiencing death. And I, I think for all of us, um, that's not necessarily the promise. When we look at Jesus, we see someone who 
certainly experienced death, but but was vindicated and brought through death. And, uh, and so maybe Enoch's life is a, a precursor and a preview of what Jesus is doing and calling us into, not experiencing death. Or Noah, who didn't wait for the rain to come to trust in God's warning and, to, and works with God towards a new future. That Noah story is wild. We named a child Noah, and I, I, I'm still kind of like, why did we do that to her? Um, <laughs> there's a story of Abraham, and, and, and the, the narration of this in Hebrews 11 is that Abraham is a refugee. Abraham is someone with his wife Sarah who had a laughable faith because of what God was promising to them, that, that they would be a people even though they were old, and that God would, would resurrect by opening uh, an old closed womb that they would be blessed to be a blessing. That Abraham's story even goes through Mount Moriah in that confusing and traumatic and horrible instance in order to bring about blessing. Or the story of Moses who by faith, this is so cool, of all the things you could say about Moses, who by faith refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. That's the thing that they, that, that they note Moses' faith. That, that Moses refused to hold on to the privilege that he received by being brought up in Pharaoh's household. And, and, then, and then joined to that is by faith the people of God passed through the waters towards deliverance. Also Rahab, who I spoke about a couple weeks ago, her faith, this outsider woman, her faith caused her to extend hospitality to the spies. So we see all these different ways faith is operating in these people and in these places, and it's rarely ever the exact same story twice. Um, in the month of November, we've, we've started to uh, started this tradition of celebrating All Saints Day um, with like a sporadic and semi-regular series called Y'all Saints. And you'll notice some of these faces on the, uh, on the screen. You'll notice some of the windows. Because um, this, is, this is kind of the, the logic. Whenever we gather in this place and sing these songs and hear the scripture and pray these prayers together, that we're always doing this um, in the presence of all of these saints. All these saints recognized and unrecognized around the saints that, whose names got on the windows uh, largely because they helped um, by faith plant a church in a neighborhood a long time ago. But also these saints um, across time and across place uh, exhibiting fidelity in their lives. Uh, learning how to be Jesus and look more like Jesus if Jesus lived their life. So people like Ann Atwater and Diedrich Bonhoeffer and Rich Mullins and Macrina and Dorothy Day and Polly Murray and Takashi Nagai and St. Valentine and Howard Thurman and all of these people. And, and we have some coming up uh, in, the, in the coming weeks. And it, it, is, it is God's faith and faithfulness in and across time and place in people's lives. And so we call the series Y'all Saints because we also think that this includes and is possible for us, for y'all, myself included, right? Um, 
one of those saints, Howard Thurman, talked uh, about what might happen if we had this sort of expectation that God was with us and that God was present and that God was calling us into things. And, and he says, suppose we dare start today believing in God, believing in God, that God is, that God is, that God is near, and that God is love, to the extent that everywhere we went, the kingdom of God would be at hand, and in a very short time, the entire complexion of our city would be transformed. This is the sort of eyes and ears and imaginations that can happen as we grow in faithfulness. And I want to close with another famous passage that you might have heard at your most recent wedding, that uh, 1 Corinthians 13 passage about faith and hope and love. At the end of that, it says, all of these things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And I think there's a reason for that. I think there's a reason that love is greater than faith. I think it's because faith is meant to be a present tense verb. It's faith is meant to be the daily grind in the series of small decisions that make us into the type of people that can be faithful, that can create a tapestry of faithfulness to the faithful God. Now, I think hope is kind of, it, it's present, but it's future-oriented. It is imaginative. It is something... Uh, that hasn't quite happened yet, but it is impinging back on the now. It is towards an unseen reality that's already begun in Christ. But love, love includes and love outlasts both of those things, faith and hope. Because love is the start, love is the middle, and love is the end. Love is the means, and love is the goal. Faith and hope serve love. So to grow in faithfulness, to grow in trust and fidelity and allegiance is to grow in our ability to love others and to love God and to thrive in a world that God loves so much he gave his only son. That we can be God's beloved. That will be the shape and the character of our faith. Because love is the shape and character of the one whose faithfulness makes our faith possible. To be fruitful in faithfulness means that we join in the great cloud of witnesses, past, present, and future, in faith. And, and I'd like to think that when we do this with our lives or when we observe this in someone else's life, we're, we're not very disciplined with the way that we talk. You know, um, we say things are awesome that are just like, do they fill us with awe, right? But, but this should also happen, we should be more disciplined uh, when we think this about ourselves or when we observe this in someone else that we say, man, that person's life is incredible. Like, uh, I thought that myself uh, this week watching the um, documentary on Val Kilmer's life. It's like, incredible, Val, you know? But maybe the goal for those of us growing fruitful lives of faithfulness is that we look at someone else's faithful life or that when we are at our most faithful over a long period of time, 
when someone looks at our life, they don't say, man, that life is incredible. They say, that life is credible. <laughs> that life is credible. Because again, credible means able to believe, able to have faith. Like I, I look at that life and I'm in awe, not because of the incredibility, but because of the credibility. Because they were able to have faith and their life helps me to have faith in Jesus. Their, their life is able to trust and it helps me trust. That's what we're doing when we're growing lives of faithfulness, that we grow both our ability to have faith and our trustworthiness for our neighbors. Because if we live incredible lives, how do we expect our neighbors to be able to believe in Jesus? That we might know the love of God and live lives of love that are credible. Will you all pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this, this word. Pistis, faith, trust. Thank you that it is so big and complicated and dense and textured and beautiful. Uh, and it's going to take the rest of our lives to um, scratch the surface of. And we thank you that it's not up to us to do that. We don't generate that. We don't, um, it's not up to us to see see it all the way through. We, we thank you for as frustrating as it can be, especially for those type A's and um, maybe uh, certain Enneagram types in the room and strength finders types in the room. We thank you that as we grow in faith, it might not mean that we become experts because we're going to have to keep trusting in you. We're going to have to keep going further up and further in to be close to you, to grow in intimacy with you and with those you love. We thank you for Jesus who shows us what faithfulness means. We thank you for the spirit that grows this faithfulness in us. We pray all this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.